0: Good morning, everyone. So one of my favorite speakers uh, of all time is Stephen Covey. You might have heard of him. He wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anybody read that book somewhere along I think it was like 1989. It makes us feel old now uh, if, you, if you read that book. So he passed away a few years ago. And uh, he always draws, uh, when he talks, he draws two big circles. The first big circle he draws, he says, is the circle of concern. And he says, the circle of concern are all the things in life that we worry about. And some of us are professional worriers. You don't have to raise your hand on that one. We know who you are (laughs) and you know who you are. Okay. But he says 85% of the things we worry about don't come true. So we waste all that emotional energy when we're worrying. And, um, uh, we know we're not supposed to worry, right? We all, we all know this thing. And Philippians says um, that don't be anxious for anything and give all our requests to God. And we sometimes make worrying into our own special talent, and, but it's not. We, we know that it's not. And we, have, we use up a lot of emotional energy when we do this, and it robs us of our joy in life. And our Heavenly Father, I'm sure, is saddened when he says, I can handle all that for you. You know, just give it to me and I will take that from you. So within that circle, then Covey draws another circle, and he calls that the circle of influence. And he says these are the things that are within our control every single day. And so I think there's at least four things within our control every day. We can control our attitude every day. You've probably heard that one before. We can control our work ethic every day, how hard we're going to work or not. We can control our maturity every day. Yeah, that's a tough one. Like, it's a new verb now, adulting. Okay, who made that into a verb? I don't know. But uh, we we would we, we like to say that now, whether we're going to bring our A game or our B game with that. And also um, our priorities we can control every day, what we're going to spend our limited time on. So these are things within our control. And if we choose to focus on the center circle, the circle of influence, and if I might add, if we choose to put Jesus Christ in that center and empower us to live our best self every day, then what happens is it sort of makes this circle bigger and bigger and bigger, and it smooshes out all that worry. And then you feel like um, we're living the life that is truly life, like Scripture says. And it takes those fears and worries, and it pushes them down. And we're no longer living like a victim, kind of like, where we give away our power. But instead, we live an empowered, overcoming life. We're only powerful in Christ alone, of course. But that is a whole lot better way to live. Today we're going to be... uh, talking through Ecclesiastes chapter nine. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or on your smartphones, um, the U version uh, version of the Bible on the smartphone is is uh, one that we use here. And what's really cool, I just heard the other day that the U version has this new app within it. It must be a, uh, artificial intelligence or something that you could take a picture and it will take a Bible verse and try to figure out what you're doing in that picture and it makes a meme out of it. Your picture with a Bible verse on it. So you'll have to try that. I think that's pretty cool. So uh, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 9, it's after Psalms and Proverbs uh, in your Bible, and the guy who wrote this, his name was Solomon, he was the third king of Israel, and he sort of muddies the waters to start out because he's sort of a melancholy temperament kind of a guy, and uh, he starts out by being Captain Obvious, and he uh, could give us some cause for despair as we start out in Ecclesiastes 9, but then he, he pulls out some uh, real gems of practical wisdom that can guide us as we walk out these doors today. He tells us of his own version of the circle of concern and the circle of influence, and so let's start today with this outer circle, and this is, what is out of your control today? What is out of your control? Well, we're going to read verses 1 through 6 and 11 and 12. Here we go. So reflected. So, I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful, as it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is a madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Whew, boy, such positivity. from from Solomon so far, okay? Anyone who is among the living has hope. There's a little uh, piece of good there. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. (laughs) For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come, as fish are caught in a cruel net, like at the men's retreat, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. So again, it's like, wow, why did you pick that passage, Paul, Uh, to talk about? It seems pretty downer. Well, let's talk about what is out of your control today. A lot. There's a lot that's out of our control today. And the bottom line for this section of scripture is we all take our lumps. Okay, we all do. The original uh, title I was going to put for this is Advantage Doesn't Matter. Because you see that, you know, there's no one living above the fray of bad things happening to us, no one's living in a bubble. Wish I was not a bubble sometimes, you know, but we're not free from bad circumstances. Solomon talks about how we mistakenly think that because we might have some natural ability or because we work hard or we're better than the next person, maybe better than our neighbor, for some reason we're entitled to a good life. But all it does is show our reliance on faulty mindsets and human efforts. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's positive, positivity in physical fitness and having a strong mind and having um, a smart money sense in winning Jeopardy. You know, all these things are, you know, there's some positivity in that, but they could all be taken in a moment. I put, put a few pictures up here that remind us of the, uh, the fragility of life. You know, a car accident, uh, a hospital bed, a mudslide, the stock market arrow going down. You know, all these things, right, could happen in a moment, and then it's gone, and we don't have control over those. I saw in Sports SportsCenter uh, a few years ago, that uh, an NFL player was retiring at age 23, he was retiring at age 23 because his knees got so banged up in college, poof, he's done, his career is over at 23. Even our results are not a good gauge of what comes at us, Solomon says. Often, uh, maybe you know that those closest to God get attacked the most by the evil one, their load is actually heavier to bear because you know, there's the, Satan sort of goes like, oh, that person's doing something. I better go after them because they're, they're making some headway for the kingdom of God, and I don't want that to happen. Uh, I heard it, I heard it read, or said somewhere that live such a life for God that Satan says in the morning, oh, no, she's awake, you know, or no, he's awake. Would that be great to live such a life that way that Satan says that? You and I cannot anticipate nor prevent sudden calamity. It is out of our control, and it's really not worth the brain cells to worry about. The outcome of life is all in God's hands. The old song, he's got the whole world in his hands. You know, it's really true. God is in control. In fact, let's all say that together. God is in control. Now let's say it like we mean it. God is in control. Okay. Uh song back in the 80s, Twila Paris. So if have, some of you remember that name from the early contemporary Christian movement, she wrote a song called God is in control. Let's look at the lyrics of this one. There is one thing that has always been true. It holds the world together. God is in control. We believe that his children will not be forsaken. God is in control. We will choose to remember and never be shaken. There is no power above or beside him. We know, oh, God is in control. Why start to worry now? He is still the Lord of all we see, and he is still the loving father watching over you and me. Wouldn't those be some good lyrics to post in your cubicle at work, you know, or in your office, or somewhere else to remind us? Why worry now? Because he's still the Lord of all that we see. Our appropriate, though sometimes challenging, response is to accept that fact. Uh, I was even reading in John 14, just this last week, and Jesus says uh, to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. And for some reason, that stood out a little bit more like, let not your heart be troubled. That's like, so we have a choice in that, to whether we're going to allow our heart to worry or not. And I thought, wow, there's, that's a very uh, empowering verse. That's a choice. And when I think of accepting what life brings us, and trying to adopt a more it-is-what-it-is acceptance mindset. I think of what is said in a lot of recovery ministries all across the country, and maybe you've seen this before, the serenity prayer, okay? And I don't know if you knew it was, it was longer than just the first few lines, but I thought we would say this one together, the serenity prayer, because there's some really powerful words in it. So let's let's say this together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. There is serenity. I love that word. It's like, ah, just makes me want to relax. Just say the word serenity. There is serenity and peace and happiness in accepting what I cannot change, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, in trusting that God will make all things right if, I know it's a little word, if, but it's a contingency word. He's going to make all things right if I surrender to His will. A couple of years ago, I was at a trade show at the track over there in Pasco, and I won the grand prize in a drawing at one of the booths. It was a local credit union. And I won a 48-inch TV with Roku. I was like, really? They said my name on the loudspeaker, and I run over there like, yeah, you're the winner, Paul. And all my friends were high-fiving me like, you won. You won the Roku. I didn't even know what a Roku was uh, several years ago, you know. And they're giving me high-fives, and they're uh, they, they're following me out the door. A camera lady was following me taking pictures for the credit union's, uh, you know, newsletter. And I was thinking, this is awesome, you know, to win this free TV. Okay, so one week later, the check engine light comes on on my car. Okay, we all dread that, right? I take my car in to be repaired. My car guy comes out with a long face and I knew it was going to be bad news. I teased that it was like a surgeon coming out to the family and saying, you know, I got some bad news for you. And so after that joke, I got the bad news. $900 in car repairs, right? Okay? With possible uh, thousands more if the transmission had gone out. So I had gotten good news and I got bad news all within one week. And the challenge was I had to accept it, both good and the bad. You see, everything that comes into your life must first come through God's filter. I'll say that again. Everything that comes into your life must first come through God's filter. And the best cartoon of this I ever saw, a Christian cartoon, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but I'm going to draw it for you anyways, is um, it starts out with a little stick figure guy or gal in the corner. And, uh, and so just, just standing there, and then a rock comes over and hits him in the head. Okay, and so uh, the automatic response for most of us is we start squawking, you know. And I'll do the the little swear word signs, you know, Christian cuss words, of course, foul, filth, refuse, you know, all those, all those, all those, all those other ones, right? Okay, and so just squawking because it's like, hey, God, what's up with that? You let that rock hit me. What's up with that? The next scene is this huge Jesus. And I'm not going to do a really good drawing here. Okay. My stick figure here of Jesus. Okay. He's got a beard. Okay. All right. And, and so, sorry, right, I, I know. I need some, we need an artist in this, is there an artist in this church? Okay. Okay. All right. So, and, and what's happening is these huge rocks are coming and hitting Jesus. And he is shielding everyone. From, he's shielding this person from all these big rocks. The big rocks are the things that we can't handle. And he's just taking the hit, just hit after hit, sheltering us from all those things that he goes, nope, she can't handle that. Nope, he can't handle that. You know, and making sure. Well, then this person's eyes get opened to seeing that Jesus is blocking all these things we can't handle. And the last scene is the person on their knees, you know, with their hands up, just praising God and saying, Thank you, Jesus. I actually have a lot of gratitude now when I realize all those things that you blocked that I couldn't handle, thanks for taking that. I'll go ahead and handle that one little one that just hit me on the head, and I'll accept that fact, and I'm gonna try to, well, Lord, give me the strength to bear up under that, that little hit to my happiness. I trust that you're ultimately in control. I love that cartoon. Again, if you keep wondering why does God allow bad things to happen to you in your past or in your present, I'm going to put it to rest today once and for all. Ready? I don't know. Yeah, sorry, that wasn't very good, but uh, it's not a very definitive answer. But no matter what it is, the first part of this chapter is telling us to accept and go forward. Look for the plan that God has for you today, even if there's pain in the offering, Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you today to turn stumbling blocks into stepping stones and lemons into lemonade. That's right. Yes. It's sort of like the story of an old, a mule who fell into an old well. And it was a real old abandoned well. It wasn't very deep, but still the mule was trapped in the well and was neighing or whatever mules do uh, to, to make sure that they were trying to squawk. And no nobody heard. Thank you. Bray? Yeah, okay. And so... Um, nobody saw it around. But then they were doing a little construction project near that. And so they were taking dirt. And they're like, where should we dump this dirt? we got to just get it out of the way. Oh, we'll dump it in that old well. We're never going to fill that up again. And they dumped it in the well. And then the mule brayed. And they're like, what? You know, And they go over to the edge. And they look. And there's a mule down there now covered in dirt that they had just dumped. And the mule shook it off and then realized, I can stand up on this. And they went, hey, I've got an idea. There's a way to get this mule out. So they dumped another load in. And the mule shook it off. And stood, took another step up. And after a while, after load, after load, after load, by the mule shaking it off and standing up, it was able to walk out of the well. So uh, with no disrespect to Taylor Taylor Swift, we need to shake things off and we need to uh, step up. And that's one of the ways we can get through the hardships in our life. So after reading much of this chapter, we could stop here and say in a depressed tone, is that all there is to life? this first part of Ecclesiastes 9, and I emphatically say, no, it is not. What is out of our control is not just all there is. There are at least four attitudes that Solomon points out for the rest of the chapter that are within your control, your circle of influence, and it will enhance the quality of your life and your witness to the world for Jesus. So let's talk about now what is in your control for today, and let's look at verses 7 through 10. Go eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife. Whom you love all the days of this meaningful life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. Okay. So he still, uh, has to get in his little thing. Uh, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you're going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. So we go from a morose first few verses to these more animated verses. It actually parallels some ancient writings from the land of Sumer. One of the oldest pieces of preserved literature in ancient history is the Epic of Gilgamesh. Not that you have to remember that from history class. But I was in my daughter's history teacher's class and I saw Gilgamesh, you know, on the wall. So I'm like, oh, okay, it's still there. Look at uh, this, this, um, this phrase from here. It's almost similar to what Solomon just said. Make thou merry by day and by night. Of each day make thou a feast of rejoicing. Day and night dance thou and play. Let thy garments be sparkling fresh. Pay heed to the little one that holds on to thy hand. Let thy spouse delight in thy bosom. Yes, I said that in church, okay. Uh, For this is the task of mankind. So you see almost a parallel of this epic of Gilgamesh and Solomon. Mr. Pessimist Solomon (laughs) just gave some optimistic advice. It's all how you choose to see the world, because you are in control of your own happiness. Let me say that again. Do you believe that? You are in control of your own happiness. Back in verse 4, we read that anyone who is among the living has hope. One of my friends, when I ask him how he's doing, if he's hanging in there, he says, it's better than the alternative. You know, that, that's always his response, which is true, right? Um, hope means that you have something to look forward to, seeing possibilities for tomorrow. Another definition of hope is having a new choice and the desire to pursue it. Bosses of the past might shout at their employees, look alive! And to put on a good show, you know, for uh, the customers or for the division manager coming into town. To look alive means to act alert and responsive. There's a contemporary music group called Nevertheless, and uh, I like this song, Live Like We're Alive, because in Christ we are. So here's those lyrics for you. Uh, So here I stand, I'm ready for anything, just a man, but I'm giving everything. We're here only for a second, and then we're gone, when we least expect it. So do more than survive. Let's live like we're alive. So God made you alive in Christ says Colossians 2.13. So let's dig into the how with our remainder of our time together. I want to give you four mindsets of being people who are alive in Christ. So the first one was in verses seven through nine, and that is be fully present. Be fully present right here today. How many have been to Pike Place Market in Seattle? Okay, most of us have been there. Okay, remember the fish guys there? Okay. They actually wrote a curriculum, a business curriculum years ago called fish. And it was their four principles for how they got their business going and how they make money, you know. And so one of their four principles is be present or be there to be in the moment with the customer, fully experiencing life with them. And it will show authenticity. And then, of course, they will sell more fish if they do that. Four crabs going to Montana. You know, they do those fun things to try to get a little crowd and they hope they're going to sell more fish. We can get super distracted by the culture we live in, so much information coming around every corner, so many options to escape to, and it can make us antsy, like we're missing out if we don't stay connected all the time through our phones or our screens, the old FOMO, fear of missing out, or we fill our schedules so full we just can't relax and even enjoy a conversation or a vacation. I'm preaching that myself here. I have a friend who every time we've gone on a trip together we used to go as families on trips to uh to camp to waterfalls and other camp uh, camping trips um he demonstrates how he savors life he drinks deep of the wonders of nature that we hike to or the museum artifacts that we're looking at I'm ready to launch on to the next thing like, yeah, 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 we're done with this room. Let's move on. You know, let's go on to the next waterfall or whatever. And he's just like, I want to savor this current adventure here in the museum, you know, or wherever we are to the maximum. I mean, what a gift. I feel my blood pressure going down just talking about him because of how well he does this. Savoring life is being 100% in the moment, not thinking forward, not thinking backward or anywhere else, but what is before you to have all of your mind and heart focused, experiencing it with your whole being. And I think God can feel that gratitude to him when we do this. And he likes to hear it verbally too. Being fully present is also actively listening to the person in front of you, not looking through him or her. You ever done that before? you you got other things in your mind, and you're looking right through that person, but you're not looking at them. Listening unconditionally, without distraction, not multitasking, By the way, the definition of multitasking is messing up two things at once, okay? So multitasking is not a great thing to do. God has divine appointments in store for you if you ask him for them and if you anticipate them. So if you want a divine appointment, ask God for one. And it's amazing how he comes through. When I was in that car appointment that I was telling you about a few years ago, when I go to the car appointment, usually the oil change takes about an hour. So I bring my Bible and I bring my journal and stuff to read while I'm uh, you know, sort of using that time wisely for that hour. And a friend came in and I said, hey, how you doing? Sort of that hello American thing. you know, Hey, how you doing? I wasn't really asking him how he was doing. I was saying hello. And he just said, I am struggling. And I was like, oh. Oh, yes? Now I actually made eye contact with him. He's like, yeah, I'm hurting. You know, my back has really been hurting. I'm not enjoying work as much anymore. And I'm like, okay, let me close my Bible, put that away, you know, and just lock and load with him. And it was a really great conversation we were able to have, but it was a divine appointment. I wasn't counting on that to happen that day. You never know why God puts people or circumstances in your path, but I do know this. In Ephesians 5.16, God says to make the most of every opportunity. So I'm trying now to see every piece of mail, every email newsletter, every new person I meet, every new experience I have as a potential learning opportunity to use in service to God. So the first point is be fully present. Our second mindset is to choose to live joyfully. I want to hang out on this one for a bit. Choose to live joyfully. Solomon is telling us to seek joy in all of our endeavors. And by the way, our Vine leadership thinks so much of living joyfully that we put it in our vision statement. You might have seen it while the announcements were going earlier, but joyfully is in our mission statement. It's also in our core values. There's a, Our core values are, James, if you come to Vine 101, you're going to hear about the uh, the core values of the Vine. And J stands for Joyful. Then there's authentic and modern and engaging and safe. That's the kind of church that we're trying to create here at the Vine, and we hope you'll come along for the journey on that. But joyful is a big deal for us. Some religions have turned following God into drudgery, and they just sort of go through the motions and, you know, just sort of sad to to watch that. And nobody wakes up in the morning going, go through the motions today. Yes, right? No, Nobody does that. You know, that doesn't sound very exciting to do that. Now, sure, there's a time to grieve, right? As Americans, we don't do a very good job of grieving our losses, but we and we do need to do that better. But I think a long-term, long-face attitude doesn't reflect the joy of the Lord to the world. Did you see in that text earlier that God approves of us enjoying life? He's not a cosmic killjoy. Now, of course, there's not a blank check for us to spend on indulging in fleshly desires till we're dead. You know, that's not what we're talking about here. But he delights in our delight of being and living alive. He's the author of happiness, and he's the real joy giver. Scripture says all things are for our benefit Sinful humanity has warped a lot of expressions of what God has made for good, but they were made for our good. Everything from food and sex and music and relationships, and you could go on and on. They can be tweaked to go bad, but God actually made them and created them for our good. Solomon said to wear white. Now, white is the festive color in the Middle East. It's the color of Jesus's transfigured robe when he was glowing with Peter, James, and John. It's the color of the angel's Uh, clothes when jesus resurrected from the dead it will be the color of the saints garments in heaven in revelation chapter 7 and he's fitting you for those right now by the way it's also white when gandalf from lord of the rings returns to the fellowship of the ring and yeah okay instead of star trek party we need to have lord of the rings party correct no just kidding that'd be fun too Uh, he also says to uh put on oil Oil is a symbol of refreshment and a call to exuberance. Uh, Enjoy the woman or man you love and your whole family for that matter. That's what that verse said. You know when you've had a bad day at work, but if your marriage is good, it sort of helps the bad day be a little bit better, right? And vice versa too, right? Uh, On that one. But it sort of lowers your stress. Or when your spouse is romantic and you ladies get treated like a lady and you men get admired as a man, that's a sweet day. You know, when when that happens. Solomon is picking out the simple components of living joyfully, and he says, life is short, do it. So uh, I really like his encouragement there. There's a call to optimism. I believe Christians should have a bias to optimism about the present and the future because we're convinced it belongs to God. He's already there. He's already in the future. He's already here right now, and so we should be optimistic. I bounced uh, this topic of choosing joy off my Facebook friends, and some of them were so good, I had to type them and put them in this message because they were just like really deep, like, wow, okay, I can't say that any better than you have. So let, let, I put them up here. Let's see if you can, uh, you'll, you'll enjoy them as much as I will. Choosing joy, no matter what happens in life, is to be grateful and thankful for everything positive in your life. And we find it changes your attitude. It tends to negate the negative. Choosing joy for me means not allowing things that I do not have control over to negatively impact my life. Real joy is knowing the extent of my sin and then comparing it to how much I have been forgiven. Jesus said it himself, those who have been forgiven much love much. Their gratitude spills over and they find themselves crazy in love with God, falling at his feet, worshiping with abandon. They find themselves loving others extravagantly and forgiving others from the heart. Wow, that was deep. That person took a lot of time to type that one in, in their status. Choosing joy means to choose to see the good, the bright side in every situation. It's liberating. Choosing joy for me means seeing where God is in every situation, and he is the joy of our world. Those are some really great points on choosing joy that I, I couldn't say any better than that. I would just encourage us here at the Vine to uh, to help encourage each other to choose joy. In your friendships, outside of church, encourage them to choose joy with glad and sincere hearts, like the first church did in Acts 2. Okay, so be present. We got that one. We're going to try to live joyfully. Our third mindset is to give 100% in all you do. From verse 10a, give 100% in all you do. This morning I was reading in Deuteronomy 6, and it was like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. That word all is giving 100%. Solomon says have zeal and gusto with whatever you're doing. Now, we've all done tasks, maybe even yesterday, with little effort, or engagement. Maybe we didn't come prepared, or we ran in the door with our hair on fire to a meeting uh, last minute, flustered, or we didn't make the call to our sister in Christ who we know is struggling and we should have encouraged them. And we've all done this, right? We're not given 100%. The lesson here is the danger of delay in doing one's work is that one does not know when one's opportunities will end. So stay eager to get on with the work of building a world that looks as much as we can make it look like the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Let me say that one again. Stay eager to get on with the work of building a world that looks as much as we can make it look like the kingdom of heaven on earth. When we pursue excellence in serving God, it reflects his character. We're not responsible for the results, only the effort and the heart motivation behind it. Colossians 3.23 is just like this. And it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Working for who? <laughs> working for the Lord, not human masters. God wants us to be and do what you were made to be and do. He gave each of us a spiritual gift. We've got to put that into play with all we have. Or the whole body of Christ suffers when we are not using our gift. And those that need Jesus won't be drawn to him. So we've got to give 100%. Okay, so be present. Be present. We've got choose joy, give 100% in all you do. And finally, number four is listen to wise counsel. Listen to wise counsel. I won't put this one up on the screen of um, the story at the end of this chapter, but it's a quick little story. And it says there was this little city and didn't have a lot of people in it. And one of those empire driven kings comes and wanted to take over the little city. And so he surrounds it and builds siege ramps against it, try to starve them out so that they will surrender. And there was a poor man in the city, but he had said the Bible says he was poor but wise. And he came to the leaders, and he gave the way out of the jam that they were in. We don't know what, the, what it was, but it worked. So they weren't taken away. And then the Scripture says that everybody forgot about the poor man, and he just sort of went his way. He got no glory for that at all, um, even though wisdom is better than strength. And that's what this little passage says here at the end. I'll get back to that story in just a sec. But Proverbs 1.5 says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Wisdom is powerless and effective, though, if we don't heed it. So first, we need an open heart to hear wisdom. Ears open, ear plugs out. Pride is the thing that stops that. It stops feedback from getting in. Like, who does he think he is? Give me that feedback. Or, yeah, I don't need that. I got that. Those kind of attitudes, that doesn't help us. And then with our ears open, we can listen, but we have to listen to the right sources. Okay, there's someone always whispering in our ear. We need to listen to the voice of truth. Wisdom might come from an unlikely source. You ever learn from your kids before, right? Yes, we all have on that. Then we don't discount it when we hear it. Um, sometimes our kids say, yeah, 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 when we try to tell them some wisdom, right? They go, "Yeah, yeah, 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 you know, and they just sort of blow us off, which means like, no, 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 you know, but they're saying, yeah, 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 to get us off their back. Okay, we can't have that attitude. So we're not always going to like to hear it. Like when my, my personal trainer says, yeah, you got to do these exercises every day. It's like, oh, I don't want to do those exercises every day. Yeah, I don't like hearing it, but I know it's wise and I'm going to get better as a result of that. And when we speak it to others, it's not always going to be accepted either. Um, other people aren't going to always want to live those that advice. But back to the little story. Hidden in the story is actually a metaphor of the greatest wisdom of all, the gospel. The small city... Represents our small, defenseless soul. Satan is the invading king that comes and besieges the soul. The wise, humble servant is Jesus Christ, who saved the day. And sadly, he received little honor and was not received by many of his Jewish brothers and sisters, and he was killed by a bunch of them. Much of his wisdom was lost on his audience. But we can change the response to that story. By embracing the good news of Jesus, he didn't stay dead. He proved the wisest and strongest of all by rising from the dead and inviting us to participate in an abundant and eternal life in Him. And if you've never given your heart to this all-loving, all-in-His-control God, I urge you to not go another day to yield to His leadership in your life. And if you've strayed from your loving Lord, and you sort of are feeling like a mess of anxiety these days, and you're not lacking joy, and you're giving 30% and not 100% to, to your life, He's calling you back to him today. He'll restore you, and he'll empower you to live every miracle of the moment. Matthew twenty-two thirty-two 32b says he's not the God of the, of the dead, but of the living. So consider how you and I will look alive for him this week. So just to sum up, it is wise to be present right now and give 100% with a joyful heart. Let's pray. Thanks, God, for being here with us today. Thank you that you're all-powerful, that you are already in the future. You already know what's going. You don't want us to reflect too long on the past. You want us to live right now. That's all we have. Lord, help us to uh, just put away that stuff that we can't control. Forgive us of our worry and our anxiety, Lord, and help us to believe more in you and put more faith in you that you've got it all under control. In Jesus' name, amen.